Hi, everyone. Uh, welcome to another uh, episode of Stock Talk. Uh, this is episode 31. Uh, my name is Amin Reyna. I'm an investment coach at Sage Investors. And uh, today I want to talk a little bit about some of my own personal investment decisions that I've made in the last little while. Um, one thing that's, you know, as much as I spend much of my time teaching people and mentoring people and coaching people how to make better investment decisions, as much as I spend time teaching people how to understand a balance sheet or an income statement or doing financial analysis, it's one thing to do that, but it's, but it's another thing to practice what you teach, to model the behaviors of what you're teaching people. And so I take it really, part of my brand and part of my, my one of the core tenets really of my practice is to be very transparent and, and uh, show people how I personally apply the various lessons and learnings and modules that I uh, impart with uh, people that I work with in terms of making investment decisions. So month, every month I post a blog uh, listing out all the various different buy and sell actions that I've taken, if any, sometimes I just don't do very much, um, on various stocks that I've bought and sold, and, uh, and sort of just share with you kind of like my thought process and how I formulated those decisions. So I posted another uh, post on my blog on uh, my website, uh, sageinvestors.ca, and uh, you can check it out. But today I'm just going to give you some highlights really of, of what I've done, just share with you what I've done. Uh, so a couple things I did is I added to some existing positions. Basically what's happened in the last couple of months, the Canadian dollar has, has basically ramped back up. It was like right near 68 cents and now it's close to 78 cents. So I thought taking advantage of that appreciation, that bump up in the currency, um, would be a good opportunity to add to some of my current positions in some U.S. stocks that I own. So I bought a couple of positions. I added a little bit in terms of buying a little bit more of Nordstrom and Tiffany, which were on the luxury uh, retail side. Um, during the month, they, uh, Nordstrom specifically, had a pretty, they reported a pretty bad quarter and the stock got really taken out. It was like near $50 and then all of a sudden it went down to near $39. And um, I, I bought in at uh, $45 and so I was down. So I thought I'd use the drop to, to basically add to my position in it and take advantage of the stronger Canadian dollar to get more bang for the buck. And, uh, you know, even though the numbers didn't really look good, uh, you know, again, you're not, I'm not investing for a quarter-to-quarter -quarter basis. I'm, I take a very long-term approach. And to me, Nordstrom's approach in terms of how they execute a lot of their strategies is very, is, is good. I think it's great compared to a company like Target that went into Canada just like, like gangbusters and thought everybody would just rush to their stores and buy anything. And the next thing you know, they shut down 200 stores. Nordstrom's, even though they're expanding into Canada, have taken a much more methodical, much more careful approach. They're willing to take time to understand the customers and learn and expand slowly. And I think that's a really unique process and a new, unique competency to have, especially in the management side of it in terms of how they're executing their strategy. So I like that. And the fact of the matter is the company's still generating tangible profit and uh, they're printing money. So, uh, you know, even though luxury retail is kind of bummed and out of favor right now, um, that's the time you want to be buying stocks when they're out of favor. And so this is a long-term, durable brand. And so I, you know, I bought in at around $39, just averaged down my position. It's now at $42 a share. So to Nordstrom, Tiffany, same story. They didn't rep you know, their numbers are looking fine, but again, it's just this whole malaise right now in luxury retail of uh, various factors, China, you know, consumption going down in China in terms of luxury, less appetite for luxury brands. And so right now it's a, a down cycle, but like, history has shown these type of companies are very cyclical and the times you want to be buying these type of companies is when 
times are rough, times are down. But the fact of the matter is even though sales are down, they're still printing money, they're still making tangible profit. And uh, Tiffany is, is a best of breed brand, it's an iconic brand out there. Um, they're not going out of business anytime soon. So and their balance sheets are pretty it's pretty strong, pretty rock solid. So I had I bought a, a little bit, I bought some more shares in Tiffany too to add again average downline position. And finally, uh, overall, even though I'm buying stocks, my general attitude towards stocks right now is I think the market's crazy overvalued. I think this whole near zero interest rate policy that the Federal Reserve and pretty much other central banks running around the world is insane. It's basically artificially propping up stock prices. There's no real reflection of stock prices with the fundamentals of the going on in the, in, in the economy going, around, going on right now. And I just think stock prices are just due for a, a severe pullback. And the fact of the matter is last week with the Federal Reserve saying they don't really plan on increasing their interest rates anytime soon shows that they continue to have, you know, chicken. They're just playing chicken and uh, can't do anything. And so there's the incentive for stock prices to be more inflated are there. So as much as I believe stock prices are overvalued, it just wouldn't surprise me to see stock prices keep going up. So um, with that, I continue one of they keep doing is I keep adding every every couple of months I keep adding to my my short position on the S&P 500 and uh, I did that again earlier uh, last week so so that story continues so in a way I'm kind of like I guess hedging in that sense um, my, my exposure there so that was uh, in terms of what I've done and now also in last month I added a new position into my uh, portfolio and that is I bought some stock in Disney Last month the stock was really, it was in about 110 bucks and uh, then all of a sudden it just started dropping. It went dropping down to like almost 97, 98 dollars and uh, you know numbers are fine if, if, and, uh, and I'll get into it a little bit but uh, that drop really um, forced me, kind of was a bit of a flag to me, like a, an alarm saying you know what you got to take a look at this because there might be an opportunity because Disney is one of the few companies I have on my on my list, my short list of companies I'd love to buy, but I've always thought were expensive. And then just the rapid drop of the stock in the last month forced me to say, you know what, I gotta dive in again and see if the fundamentals of the business are, are solid. If they are, then you know maybe worth uh, picking up, maybe worth opening up a position. So I decided to, one of the things I do when I make investment decisions is I apply, I try to answer the eight questions um, that every investor should be asking about a stock they're thinking of buying and selling. And so. I basically apply my eight questions uh, model and uh, come out. Hopefully, come out. I should be able to come out of it with a bit of an answer. So let's just do. So I'll just walk you through how I went th through my thought process. Question one: What do they sell? Well, Disney. They pretty much sell entertainment. They sell content. So in variety shapes of forms, they have you know the traditional Mickey Mouse, Donald Duck, um, Disney World amusement park, Disney Cruise motif. And then there's the cable side of the business with ESPN and ABC, and uh, then the whole movie side of it with Pixar, and now they added Marvel, Marvel Incorporated, all the superhero characters, and then of course there's the Lucasfilms, the whole Star Wars franchise. And essentially the, biz the, the business model of Disney is about acquiring and developing franchises, franchise characters, iconic characters, and then marketing the hell out of them through cross channels, through distribution channels, just going hardcore. When something clicks like Frozen, they go hardcore in marketing that thing. And it's it's been in the DNA of that company since Walt Disney was you know founded the company. And it's interesting if you go on my blog, when I write about Disney, there's a, I found this really cool uh, um, chart or graph or I don't know what it is. It's just like a like a one note kind of thing that Walt Disney did and he pretty much sketched out the entire company's vision and strategy on this one page 
and it's got all these lines going all over the place and zigzagging and channels and marketing channels and movies and do this, do that. It's fascinating. You developed this like 70 years, 80 years ago, and it's still part of the DNA of the business. And uh, they stay very, very, very true to that. And so that's what they do. That's what they sell. And uh, they do it better than anybody else that I know out there. So that's, that's what they are. That's what they do. Question two. Competition. Well, you know, they're in the content business, so they're competing with other people that generate content. So you're looking at your, your Comcast, your Time Warners, your CBSs. Those are the people that are, you know, sending branded content. Um, who's buying content from Disney? Well, you know, traditionally it used to be just kids because it used to be about Mickey Mouse and Donald Duck, but now they have the whole Star Wars franchise. So now you've got a cross-section of Star Wars, you know, crazies. I'm one of them. Um, you got the whole Frozen franchise, all the superheroes and everything. So their cross-section, their, 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 their reach now is not just to kids. It's really all segments of, of society. Um, and the question is, when you le that leads into, uh, um, you know, do people buy their content? If they buy it, will they buy their content over and over again? Well, the question is, the answer is yes, if they keep putting out meaningful content. So with ESPN, as long as they have live sports and live professional sports, um, people are going to tune into that over and over again. You know, uh, Star Wars. If they keep cranking out Star Wars, you know, episodes, then people are going to come back and line up and buy their DVDs, stream it, buy Chewbacca masks, you name it. So chances are, yeah, people do want their content. They do want their their uh, their products. Question five: Do they make money? Fundamental question. It took me five questions to get to this point, but does the company make money? If you look at their company's return on capital, it's averaging between 10 to 12 percent over the last three or four years. Cost of capital is about 9 percent. So when you factor that in, the company is actually making tangible economic profit. They're creating tangible wealth for their shareholders. Um, most of their wealth is created from the cable side, mostly through ESPN because they charge really fat um, fees, monthly fees, and they're consistent, stable, and durable. Now, part of the reason why the stock has been maybe tanking a little bit is because there's been some rumblings that their subscription base is falling and that whole cutting the core concept might be coming into play, especially with ESPN. Um, I'll get into that in a little bit later. That's one of my later questions when we talk about risk. Um, you know, you look at the company, like their, their Star Wars franchise, it's, they paid $4 billion for Lucasfilms and recent reports that I've read said they're going to make their money back in like two years after, after they release the next three episodes they're probably going to make their money back. So everything they're going to make after the next two, after two, in two years is going to be gravy. That's insane. That's unbelievable. That's just a mountain of cash they're just throwing out right there. So, and then, you know, let me talk about all the other franchises. Frozen, uh, Finding Dory. I actually went to see it with my kids on the weekend, and the uh, theater was packed. And uh, they said it set a record for, for animation, uh, for an animation film over, over uh, opening weekend. So they're clearly creating buzz and creating content. Question six, which is about the quality of their balance sheet. Is it a stable, rock solid, or has it got issues? The one thing I thought I would expect when I, when I started looking at their balance sheet was I, th I thought I'd see a ton of goodwill and a ton of intangible assets because they've been on a basically a buying spree for the last 10, 15 years, buying up franchises and content like, Star, like the Lucasfilm Star Wars content. Reality is only about 25% of their assets are in intangible assets, which I thought was really surprising and actually kind of cool, actually kind of impressive. Um, usually, I don't like to look at companies that have uh, goodwill over 20% of assets, but in this case, they've just got this ability of identifying and really solid content. And uh, you know, if you're you know 
buying back companies and being able to justify them within two years, then I think you probably know you got some good DNA and good competency in, in the management side over there. Um, question seven, risks. Well, there are some risks. Um, if you're in the content business, it's just that challenge of generating fresh content. Fresh content that people want to buy and people want to see and consume. So that's you know, occupational hazard with these type of companies. Um, the fact of the matter is, they see it. They traditionally had always been the house of mouse and really revolved their strategy around nurturing and building that side. But over the last 15 years, they've really branched out and gone away from just that Mickey Mouse concept to now, you know, Star Wars, to Marvel, to all the, uh, uh, I forget who it's Marvel, I think it's Captain America and stuff like that. But they've branched out. And, uh, and that's helped, and that's really helped their brand, uh, helped their brand and helped their value proposition quite a bit. Um, the cutting the cord situation, I talked about a little bit with ESPN. I think part of the risks out there is that people will just say, you know what, I'm done. I don't want to pay outrageous fees for ESPN content. It's really great. It's really cool. I can see Wimbledon. I can see all the Grand Slam tournaments. I can see the Super Bowl. You know, I can see all these things, but uh, I don't want to pay for it that much. So people are doing that. I'm going to find other alternatives of getting that content. And uh, some people are worried about it. I think that's feeding a little bit into some of the malaise in, in terms of the stock price. But the reality is, you know, they own some of the most prime content out there. All the major sports, they are all in on it. And uh, live content is gold in, in, in the entertainment business. So uh, I think a lot, it's a lot to do with about nothing, really, uh, at this point. The other risk is also they're kind of shackled a bit. About three, four years ago, and I was reading about this, they did a deal with Netflix. So basically, they basically gave Netflix full access to the Disney library. And they basically, Netflix is paying them about 300 million, 400 million a year to access this content. And they locked the deal up until 2020. And so it's fascinating because a lot of people are saying they made it, a, Disney made a huge mistake um, doing this deal because they could have just gone out and done a lot of this distribution themselves and probably would make a lot more doing that. So they, a lot of people think the stock or like the company's like earning potential is really kind of hamstrung or kind of contained, constrained a bit because they're, they're tied into this Netflix deal. And if you actually look at it, the reason big, one of the big reasons why Netflix is what it is right now is really because of this deal, because of their ability to get all this Disney content. So. The bad news is they're kind of locked into this deal until 2020. The good news is it's not like a 50-year kind of deal. After 2020, they're free and clear. They can do whatever the hell they want. Disney can do whatever the heck they want. And so a lot of people are thinking, and this is the trend really, is that a lot of these, con these content farms, like a Disney, um, like an HBO, are just saying, you know what, we're going to forget about the middle guy, and we're going to create the pi our, our portal ourselves, and we'll charge people directly to use that. And so a lot of people think, Disney's just going to be in the process of creating this mother of all kind of interfaces, um, portals where you can access, you can want to see Star Wars 100 times, you can go through there, pay a subscription, you want to see Frozen 50 times and anything around it, any of the content associated with it, you pay for that. Or if you want to see everything, you pay for everything. And I think that's kind of looks like a trend, and technology is really the big factor that's enabling this. So it wouldn't be a surprise to see Disney four or five years out kind of out with their own little one-off platform, the one-off ecosystem kind of thing. Um, and it could potentially be very lucrative. But right now, the stock probably isn't showing that or factoring that in. Um, but it's out there. And it's, you know, it's a risk. It may work. It may not work. We don't know. So that's probably a side of it. Um, thing. So 
that's seven questions. So the eighth question, okay, so what do I, after answering all this, how do I feel about the stock? Well, I think, as I said, it's a best of breed content, content provider. It owns some of the most prestigious and valuable and iconic brands out there. Um, it throws cash like ridiculously out there. They have a pretty clean balance sheet and they, they have, they generate content that is constantly being reconsumed and consumed and consumed. And when you put all those factors in, the fact that the stock is down from 110 to 97 dollars, I thought the stock was, um, it's out of favor. I think the analysts are out, of, are out of favor on it, and I think there's a lot of negative sentiment on it. I thought, you know what, this is a really good quality company that's on sale, that's being discounted, you know. So I, I said, you know what, I'm going to open up a position. So I opened up a small position, and you know, the stock, I think the stock, the stock very much could fall further, and if it does, then I'll buy more. Um, because I'm looking at the from a long-term perspective, I'm not just looking at it to trade and flip stocks. So that's kind of like how I approach these things, and that's how I work with people is trying to get people to ask these eight questions to themselves and be able to answer them, and then come out of it with basically a pretty good sense of whether they want to make an investment decision or, or if they want to sell or buy a stock. So that was my thought process, my mind map, I guess, of Disney. So I thought I'd share that with you. That's pretty much all I got for you today. Um, if you want to go check out my blog post on Disney and everything, I go into a lot more detail on it. I uh, go to my website at www.sageinvestors.ca. If you want to hit me up with a question or uh, anything, you can go to my website or you can go hit me through Twitter. My uh, handle is at Sage Investors. And uh, I tweet about all, as I said, my personal investment decisions, my observations on the market, coaching kind of things, investing decisions, all things stocks. I tweet it out in real time. So feel free to follow me and check me out. Um, that's pretty much it. That's another edition of Stock Talk. My name is Alvin Arena of Sage Investors, and we'll catch you again another time.